Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to this series five, episode two of Out with Susie Ruffle. I hope that you're having a good week. It'll be Easter Monday when this goes out. It's currently, is it Easter Saturday? The Saturday after Good Friday? It's just a normal Saturday, I think. We're on that day. The sun's shining, which is very nice. And my wife's making some cornflake cakes. So on the whole, I mean, I'm having a great day. Uh, I hope that you are too, whatever you're doing. I've got another fantastic episode for you today. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I love Ashley Maguire. I think you're going to too. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode with Dr. Ranj. I got lots of lovely responses uh, to people being delighted that the series was back. I'm so pleased that so many of you are listening and so many of you are enjoying it. As ever, I really want you to get in touch with me with your coming out stories or basically whatever you'd like to share. Um, I always love reading out the the listener correspondence on the show. So please get in touch with me. If you've been thinking of doing it, do it. Uh, the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. You know, I want to hear from everyone across the LGBTQIA spectrum and also allies. Get in touch with me, share your thoughts with me, and maybe I'll be able to share them on the show. Uh, as ever, I've got a couple of uh, listener emails before we get into the conversation. And here's the first one. Dear Susie, First, I have to thank you for making this podcast. It's become my favourite podcast and I can't stress how much it means to hear about people that are like me and about their lives. I was recommended this podcast by the best ally of an aunt I could ask for. I'm also a friend of like-minded friends. Clang, that's the podcast that I do with Tom Allen, if you're not aware of it. It's very different vibes to this one, but uh, very gay and joyful as well. Um, I'm an 18 year old girl still figuring it all out. I think I'm just into girls after giving myself such a hard time for being anything other than straight. It's thrilling to say that. Hearing about the successful lives of LGBTQIA people has really allowed me to imagine myself in a happy, successful future. I think I subconsciously had made a deal with myself. I couldn't be successful and beautiful and smart and queer, which is obviously ridiculous. I first thought that I liked all genders because I think I could have a romantic attraction to a boy, but it's difficult to separate that and wanting their validation. I've never been able to picture myself with a man. I should have known I wasn't straight. When I was about 10 years old, I bet my grandmother a million pounds I would never have a boyfriend. I used to think I was just being stubborn, but I think younger me had it sussed out. I've also had my fair share of lovely, intense friendships Emma Kennedy spoke about on her episode, where I found myself feeling indescribably happy around them, especially if we held hands or if we were alone. 
I started to question my sexuality once I started seeing queer women in TV shows and movies. I also started to speak to and date boys more and realised there was just nothing there. The idea of being anything more than friends with them made me feel uncomfortable, but the idea of being with a girl felt right. I spent a lot of time doing anything I could to avoid gay stereotypes, the way that I dressed, the way I did my hair, the hobbies I pursued. I carried and still carry a decent amount of shame, which sounds weird because I'm so privileged and I live in a place and a time where it's legal and celebrated to be gay. I still have some internalised homophobia, I suppose. After a year of this inner turmoil, I started to come out starting with my closest friends, my brother, my aunt, and then my dad and stepmom. In the end, I decided the idea of never being with a girl wasn't something I would accept. It wasn't worth denying that for myself just to be, in air quotations, normal. I haven't had the scary conversation with members of my family who are likely to disapprove, but that will come. I'm incredibly grateful to now be able to talk openly to my straight friends about girls the way that they talk about boys, and talk and relate to my other queer friends. I still find it strange when I drop into conversation that I'm into girls, not boys, because I'm sharing something that was a secret for so long in such a casual, offhand way, as if it's nothing. I guess I would really love to announce it excitedly, but maybe it's safer to say it hurriedly so people don't focus on it. I'm taking it one step at a time, but in the recent year I have felt empowered as I've started to celebrate my identity. I could write to you for so much longer, but I'd better end the email here. I feel so strongly about LGBTQIA plus inclusion, and I would love to learn more and even pursue a career that would allow me to fight for our rights and help people share their stories. Thank you for making me feel like I belong in the community. It makes me feel much less alone. You're welcome to use my name. And that's from Daisy. Well, Daisy, thank you so much for your email. Um, I think I had very similar feelings to you when I was 18. And it sounds like it sounds like you're smashing it, mate. It sounds like you've really got a handle on who you are and what you're doing. I wish, yeah, I feel like I did not have my head screwed on as much as you do when I was 18. Um, some of the things that you said about stereotypes and how we look, I think Ashley and I um, cover that a little bit in this conversation. So um, maybe that will resonate with you a little bit. I'm so delighted that the podcast has meant so much to you and how much you enjoy it. And I'm so pleased that you feel seen within it. That's all I really want to do when I create this pod is just, you know, either people that are part of the community make the, it feel as inclusive as possible and people that are allies uh, just to, yeah, I guess, let in you guys even more. But thank you, Daisy, for your email. Let's have one more before we get into today's conversation. Dear Susie Ruffle, I like that you've gone full name First thing I want to say, I saw you on tour in Maidenhead last week and you were amazing. Thank you very much for saying that. I was doing new material. I think some of it was funny, some of it was less funny. Uh, I'm going on tour at the end of the year, so it needs to all be funny by then. Anyway, less about me, back to the email. Secondly, I've been listening to your podcast for a long time and it means so much to me. I am an aromantic asexual woman, which I discovered three and a half years ago when I had a boyfriend and quickly realised that it wasn't for me. I've been struggling with accepting myself, especially since there's so little representation, and while the aromantic asexual communities can be great, they're also very small. Before discovering your podcast, I didn't feel very connected to the wider queer community, either because I think your podcast has not only helped educate me on the history and context of our community, learning about Section 28, etc., it's helped me understand the word queer. For me, this world is an important part of my identity as I fight against societal norms that I need a romantic relationship to be happy. You have very diverse guests on your podcast and in almost every episode of the podcast, I find something to relate to in you or your guests. As the emotions around coming out and coming to terms with being different than what you expected are often similar, however you identify. 
While labels are important and the struggles are different for different parts of our community, the LGBT plus community can feel so divided up into categories, it's easy to forget how much we all have in common. I think this is especially important for us to remember at the moment, with the Tories trying to ban conversion therapy only for LGB identities and not for trans people. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. If you haven't signed the petition, please do. That's from me. Back to the email. Finally, I want to say thank you for the safe space your podcast has given me over the past two years since I found it. Listening to other people who have struggled to accept themselves but are now much happier has been wonderful and makes me feel so excited for my future. You sometimes say on the podcast that you wish you could have had something like this when you were a teenager. As a teenager, I want you to know this podcast has changed my life in moments when I could just press a button and become straight that I would. You've helped me learn the power and joy that comes with being different and knowing who you are. I'm now in the process of unlearning some of the things society has taught me. That I need to be happy or have children or a relationship or a thin body or a feminine style and I can find out what truly makes me happy. I'm indescribably grateful for this podcast through my shame and my queer joy. I hope you're doing well and you have a nice Easter with your family. You haven't said whether I can share your name, so I'm not going to, just in case, because I know you're quite young and I don't want to share it just in case you don't want everyone to know all these things about you just yet. Um, Again, another gorgeous email from one of our younger listeners. I know we've got listeners. um, I had one from someone in their 70s the other day. So I know that there's people that listen, you know, all ages. Um, But you're absolutely right. I have often said in this podcast that I make it for teenage me. And so I'm pleased that I've made it for teenage you. Thank you so much for everything you had to say. And yeah, I just, I I hope that this little bit of representation is making you feel more seen. And I'll do my best to try and get some more asexual people on the podcast. It's quite hard, as you mentioned, it's quite a small community. And I have reached out to quite a lot of people, but as yet, I've not had any response, but I will keep trying, I promise. And that goes for lots of different parts of our community. I've reached out to so many people that cover all the LGBTQIA plus areas. And uh, some get back to me and some don't. And all I can do is offer people uh, the, the time and space to share their story and it's up to them whether they want to come on the show but I will continue to ask people and um, I appreciate all the things that you just said in your email okay let's get on to today's conversation I absolutely love the actress Ashley Maguire she's brilliant in so many things and I really hope that you enjoy this conversation Before we get into today's episode, I just want to put out a little warning. During this conversation, Ashley talks about having a relationship with a much older woman when she was a teenager and that she was groomed by her. If that feels like something that you can't listen to today or indeed any day, then pause now and don't listen to this episode. I am delighted to welcome to the podcast today the extremely talented Ashley Maguire. Ashley is a highly sought after actor, having an illustrious career in both stage and screen. Her theatre work includes stints at the National Theatre, the Donmar Warehouse, the Lyric Hammersmith and the Bush Theatre. Now for our listeners overseas, or for those that aren't that into the world of theatre, let me tell you, those are the venues that every actor dreams of playing. When I was back at drama school, nearly 20 years ago, they were the places that we went every week to see what was going on, to find out what was happening. And it was just a joy to be in those spaces. So Ashley has trod all of those boards. Her TV work is equally impressive. You might have seen her in This Country, Angela Black, It's a Sin, or heaps of others. I particularly loved her performance as the straight-talking consultant Vicky in This Is Going To Her. And I'm thrilled to have her with me today. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. How you are sort you? of winced as I did that. I just, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't do these things very often. And when you hear somebody say what you've done, I, I, I just, I find it ass clenching. <laughs> 
with the arse clenching Asher Maguire. Yeah. <laughs> I can redo it if you like. No, no. <laughs> no. Well, first of all, you, you don't do interviews. So when no. I'm uh, when I interview people, I always I think it's the very least you can do when someone's giving you their time is to do the research and to give a shit, you know? And I think you can always tell when interviewers haven't given a shit. And there's nothing about you. All I could do was watch you in stuff playing an array of quite often hilarious characters. Yeah, that's that's the point, Susie. Yeah. You don't you don't want people to know about you. Well, I yeah, I mean I kind of feel that it, it dilutes what uh, we do a bit. Yeah. Also I'm people find this difficult to believe, but I'm quite shy. Right, yeah. When it's me. And um I've had a couple of opportunities over the years to do stuff as myself and I just fail miserably. Like, I'm no good as me, I, especially publicly. I'm, you know, like I'm all right with my mates and everything, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a bit awkward and shy and um, I just try and stay away. Don't go to premieres. So there's not many press photos of me. No, either. there's none. There's, there's none. There's it's like, like one, I think, from... There's one of you at the, the Dolma. Yes, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with the yeah. with the director. I mean, yeah. this is. The, I've gone deep with the with yeah, the research. I'm so, so sorry, Suze, but, I, but yeah, I um, I don't go to premieres. I I don't. Uh, I try to avoid any press. My agent knows that. Uh, you know, I I, I just I you just like the work. I'm, like, I'm doing this with my. I'm t- putting my fingers over one another. You know, like You're fiddling with your hands. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I'll, it's okay. I'll relax. I was so thrilled that you were up for it because I sort of knew because we've got a mutual friend, Jess Foster Q, who's been on the show. Yeah. And um, Jess said, she was, I don't think she does much, but it's definitely worth asking. And so I was so thrilled when you said you were up for having a chat because it was interesting, actually, when you first came in and sat down, you said, oh, I was out of work for 20 years. And I was like, well, I mean, obviously in and out of work, but you've had a really impressive career on stage before. Like there no, were years. that didn't start until I was in my 40s. Really? I left drama school when I was... I left drama school in 1996, so you'll have to do the maths. Right, I'm okay. 50 this year. A while ago. A while ago. <laughs> and I didn't step on a stage again until I was 40. 40. And that was at, at um, Soho Theatre. That was the first time wow. I stepped on a stage after having left drama school. Do you think it's because you were a character actress and you were young? No, I think it's because I didn't have a good agent. Right. Uh, it's it's the saddest thing to say, Susie, but um, you've got to have somebody get you in the room. Yeah, for sure. And if if you haven't, I, I'm, I've got friends who I think are superb, superlative actors yeah. who don't get any work because they've got a shit agent. Yeah. And it's it's all very well saying, oh, the cream rises to the top and all of that stuff. And to a certain extent, that's true. Once you get the opportunity to stay there, yeah. some of that has to do with whether or not you're any good. But you've got to get in the whether room. Whether or not other people think you're any good. But you've got to get, someone's got to get you in the room. Yeah. And I, I couldn't get in the room. And then I wrote a little thing with a friend of mine, uh, a little two-hander, lovely little play. We put it on at the Canal Cafe. Well, that was the first time yeah. I tried the boards, really, but um, that's upstairs of a pub. Yeah, I mean, I've played it a number of times right. over the years. <laughs> yeah. So, and it just so happened that a guy from the Pleasance was there and he took us to Edinburgh. Ah. And then that was a big hit. She snapped her Achilles on stage halfway through the run and uh, the BBC were in that day. And she came off stage halfway through the play and she said, I can't... It sounded like a gun went off Ooh. in the audience. And um, she came off. She said, I can't stand up. And she lay on the floor. I said, get up. the Fucking get up. The BBC are in. Get up. And she said, I can't. And then we went out. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes, there was a doctor in the house. It's like a proper, 
you can't believe the story. And her Achilles was halfway up her calf. And oh that was God. the end of us, the end of the run. So I got smashed. Went to the bar at the, the Pleasance. I can't remember the name. What was the name of that bar? That Brooks. Was? Brooks Bar. About one in the morning, I was hammered. Sat at the bar, depressed, because we were Critics' Choice. And oh. it was a beautiful little play. And uh, Emma Strain from the BBC came up to me and handed me a card and said, I saw half of it. We loved it. Um, love to see the rest of it or hear the rest of it. Here's my cut. I said to her, oh, fuck off. Which was real. <laughs> so drunk. <sighs> and then because of that, I got a better agent who got me in the room for a couple of things. Yeah. And then because of that, I got a better agent. And then, well, I got a top agent then. And yeah. then when you got a top agent, it changes everything. Because you had like, from looking at your CV, it looked like you were at the National for like years. Well, once I got there. You were in. Then I was in. Because that must be dreamy that like oh. for me working at the national would be like because I'm, I'm definitely a stand-up but acting was sort of my first love yeah. and so like the idea of I mean Carly Tibble was actually my first love but that's a different story but um <laughs> she was in my French class but um but my other first love was acting and I I can only imagine the excitement of working somewhere like that and that being where you're like not residency but where like you go to work yeah it's, it was it's great, amazing. right? I mean, it, I did something called the William Pearl when I was at drama school in, in 1996, in our final year, with a mate of mine, Pete. We did a two-hander, which was like all the, what they considered the best classical actors of each drama school would come and do oh. a, a, a two-hander. And you did it on stage at the National. Right, okay, because they did thing like that at the Globe called like the Sam Wanamaker or something, which must right. be a similar thing. Yeah, yeah, go on. So, so... That was in 1996, and then it took me until we did home at the National to get back there. And the first day that I got, I couldn't believe it that I was mm. there. You know, it was so incredible to get that job. I worked very hard to get that job. And the first day I went upstairs to, they took, you know, showing me round and took me upstairs to the lunch where you have lunch, the canteen. And I walked into the canteen, and Peter, who I'd done the duologue with in 1996, was sat there eating. And I started to cry. <laughs> you know, like, I couldn't believe yeah. it. All those years later, he was yeah. there. He was understudying something, and I just was like, "Oh my god!" The last time we were here, we were here together. We were here. We were here together, and there you are. And then, yeah, they they we did home, and it was it was. I mean, that had like Michaela Cole, Kadeem, yeah, Cole, you know, the, an amazing cast yeah, yeah, yeah. of all kind of unknowns, all of us. Antonia Thomas, fantastic, and. Once you're in something good and they think you're good, yeah, they kept keep... bringing me back. I did have a went on a good run at the yeah time. four or five plays. It was amazing. Yeah, I bet. And I think that's the thing. I think the thing that I really miss about acting is like that you must have that sense of like team, oh, which you don't get in comedy and you don't get when you do one days on shows and like if you're filming something and you've just got a really small part you know you don't unless you're part of that core cast which I've never really been in telly you know you're just nipping in for like a day of shooting or this that and the other you know or two days here one day there whereas if you're working with them every night that must feel like a family it's absolutely I mean you have to make I think you do make fast friends in our business anyway because you have to yeah because within you know an hour of saying hello to one another in the rehearsal room, you might be bearing all. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Well, you're certainly emotionally, you have to go there straight yeah. away. So you you make good friends and there, there is nothing like it, especially theatre. Mm. 
for uh, uh, making feeling part of a family. And I think, you know, if you if you are queer, if you if you've you know you've grown, I've grown up, you know, been a lesbian since well ever since I can remember, but mm. I've been out forever. And sometimes you do feel a bit other and a bit yeah. isolated. And so to be able to say this is my family, you know, th- this is my artistic family, which is how I feel about my mm. profession. After being in the cold for so many years, yeah, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it had been that long. Of so, were you just like doing temp work, waitress? Like, what were you, yeah, were you just yeah. anything? Gardening, cleaning friends' houses. I gave up for a while. Mm. Um, Thank God you went back. Well, it just happened to yeah. I mean, yeah, the fate. Yeah, you know, it's brings it kind around. of brings you back. But um, yeah, I, I was poor mm. and had no work. No, yeah, I know exactly what it feels like, but I just didn't give up. Stupid, really. Yeah, dumb. I know. Still don't, you know, live in social housing. Still don't, you know, I'm. I still don't have really a pot to piss in, but uh, I feel good, and I, I think you should try in life to do what you love. Yeah, absolutely. And don't worry about money. Hundred percent. Having a joyful life is really the yeah. thing. I was looking at because I was I obviously coming in to do this. I had to look at you and look at your work. Oh God, which is fantastic! <laughs> and um, I was thinking how great it must be to be laughing. You must be laughing every every time you perform. You must be laughing because you have to watch other comics and yeah. So you must laugh a lot. Yeah, it's really lovely, especially like now I'm at a stage where I can tour, you know, by myself, or I do shows with my mates. And so, like tonight, for example. I do a show sometimes called Susie Ruffle and Friends where me and a load of mates try new material and I've got four mates coming with me tonight and we've all got new stuff and we're going to go in the car together and grab some food on the way. Who are the mates? Jen Brister. I know Jen. Right, so Jen Brister, Sarah Barron. Do you know Sarah? She's an amazing American stand-up. Uh, Rose Johnson, who used to be a sketch actor and now she's moved into stand-up. And Fatia Algori, who's a newer stand-up, who's really great. And so, yeah, we'll all get there muck about, listen to each other backstage, give each other a few notes Lovely. if we have any ideas. Oh, have you thought about taking that in that direction? Have you thought about that? Oh, really? Yeah, you do look, that? only with really good mates would you do that. Or you'd say, listen to this, there's something I'm missing. Can you work out what it is? With my really good mates that are comics, I'd say that. Or wow. be like, is there something? And they might go, oh, you're putting the stress on the wrong word. It sounds weird. I think that's why. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I've just been saying it in that way for ages. And that's how it's... Oh, how interesting. And like, you go, oh, you're putting the punchline before the setup. You go, oh, yeah, fucking hell, I am. I'm getting to the funny bit too quickly. I need to take him down the garden path because a bit. Because there's absolutely his craft. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I mean, I've been doing it 12 years now, but it's not like you get to a stage where you go, and now I know how to write. No. It's like you go, oh, I think that's a thing. Is that a thing? I've got a new bit that I want to try tonight, for example. I've got a little girl and we were at soft play and I overheard a five-year-old say, are we having fun now? And I thought, <laughs> I've never related to someone more. <laughs> Oh, okay, good. That's the thing. Okay, because I didn't know if that was just a me thing. No. But I thought, like, Perfect. I've never related to someone more than someone. Like, is this fun? Is this what, is this, because I feel like that at every party. I have a friend like that. You can see they're looking to see whether or not they're having a good time. Right, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I don't know. I was at, like, a party the other day that was a bit show busy. And I left at 11 because I was like, I don't think I'm having fun. No. I don't think this is fun for me. No. I think this is quite stressful. Stressful they are. Yeah. That's why I don't go. Yeah. And I keep thinking that I know people, but actually they've just done Strictly. <laughs> I was like, oh, I know them. Oh, I know them. Like, no, they did Strictly this year. Like, oh, I don't know them. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, yeah, I just don't. 
I'm just, I'm just better with a, a group of comics that I probably know quite well. So you've got your family now then. You know yeah. when you were talking about that yeah. sense of family. Yeah, so you yeah, have yeah. got it. You're taking yeah. your friends in the car, you'll eat together and you're Yeah, just, exactly you that. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you like sort of referenced it back to being queer because I think that it's interesting that we maybe look for that in yeah. a way. And let's talk about acting first. When did you know that you wanted to act? Or when, when did you know you were good at it? Uh, at, at school... I really avoided it because my mum was in the business. She was oh, really? a, she was a model and a dancer and then she was a film extra and a stand up for her whole life. So I grew up on film sets and TV sets and, and everything, but you know, she wasn't an actor. And my brother was also at stage school and, you know, he did a few bits and pieces and he hated it. So I I sort of avoided it. Mm. And uh then I did Midsummer Night's Dream at it's like classic. Did yeah. someone like dream school play when I was fifteen? And who were you? Bottom. Classic. Who, who was I? I mean, I did sort of assume that you'd have the comedy role, but it's you, you could have been a Titania. I don't know. No. <laughs> no. And I wasn't particularly academic at school. I was a pain in the ass. You know, naughty. Snap. Class clown. Mm-hmm. Too much rabbit. Yeah. Uh, apart from sport, because I was very good at sport. So used to get a lot of praise for sport. It was the first time, really, that I saw teachers look at me in a different way. Mm. And people came up to me and, you know, I thought, oh, I might be able to, I might be good at this. Also, you just, it's just intoxicating. Mm-hmm. It's completely intoxicating. Totally. It's pathetic. Yeah. But the applause and the praise. It feels so good. I was like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, and then I never wanted to do anything else. I relate to a lot of that. I'm not academic. And yeah, being good at something, mm. it's the best feeling. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what it is, just as long as there's a thing that you're yeah. like, oh, that's my thing. Yeah. And then and then imagine being good at something or feeling that you might be good at something and then not being able to do it. Yeah. That's 98% of actors. Yeah. It's such a brutal industry. Brutal. It's, I mean, it's why I, I mean, I couldn't get any work as an actor. That's why I went to stand really? up. Oh, graduate from drama school, couldn't, didn't get an agent. Had an agent like no, flapping about me for a bit, and then they didn't know where to put me. And I think it was because I was, I was out. It wasn't a particularly queer time twelve years ago. Like they, they weren't like great. This is really interesting. It was like, well, we don't really know where to put you, and there's not really any parts to you, and we're not, we don't really know about casting you as straight. You know, it wasn't the moment that we're having now, no. where there is that representation on television. So I just, I fucking couldn't get arrested. No one was interested. It was the same for me. It just, was the same for me. And it just got to a stage where I thought, well. I'm quite funny. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I can make people laugh and I can tell stories. But the only way I'm going to do this is if I have autonomy and it's I can just put my own brave. gigs. I think it's incredibly brave. I've had people say to me, you know, all my adult life, oh, have you ever thought about stand-up? Yeah, I wondered. No, I have not. <laughs> End of conversation. I think it is, it is, you have to be so brave to do something like that. I'm always in real awe of stand-up comedians because even if you've got a persona you're still standing there yeah it's like being naked when you start you don't know what's behind you no but i think that it's um it was the only way that i was going to be performing it's the only thing that i could do it was so i sort of graduated into the recession i mean now it sounds like an interview of me which everyone's gonna be like all right Suze, can we get back to the person that you've actually posted on the show um but I, i graduated into the recession as I graduated, it was like more rep theatres have closed than ever before. Like that year, it was like dreadful. There was just no fucking work. And yeah. so it was like, well, either either I give up 
but I can't give up. So I'm going to have to just try. And then I thought, well, I like making people laugh. Let me just give this a go. Look and then... how well you've done. How well, yeah. amazing for yeah, you. Yeah, it's really, it's really, yeah, it's really, I love it now. I love it. I'd love to go back into acting at some point, but I do love it. Yeah, it's really, but as you say, that applause is, it's intoxicating. Oh, yeah. Oh, and what it must feel like for you guys to be in a room full of people who have come to see you and you, if when you make that entire room laugh, it must be a, a oh, it's better a drug. than drugs. Yeah, it's better than drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's yeah. really great. So let's get back to you because, I mean, they'll be listening thinking, oh, fucking hell, Suze, we get it, you're a stand-up. <laughs> um, well, well done, Suze, we're all very impressed. Um you said you were a bit naughty and you were the class clown and you weren't super academic. Was it, you know, around those maybe secondary school years or at the beginning of secondary school, did you feel other? Did you no. feel different? Or were oh, you yeah. aware of your... Was there a crush that you had that made you feel different? Or were you always aware of your sexuality? So I wanted to be James Dean when I was a teenager. So that, so I had a quiff and I that's what I dressed like, like a 50s, 50s teenager and... I dressed like him and I knew I was different. I thought it was great that I was different. Like I had a lot of confidence. I, I but I had boyfriends and um, I didn't look at girls. I liked women around, girls around me. And like I used to wear, um, now when I look back, you go, oh, okay. The signs are there. I used to wear Kouros, you know, the aftershave Kouros yeah, yeah, on oh. my blazer because the girls would come up and say, oh, you smell lovely. Yeah, I'd say there were a few signs. Sure. It's a little bit of a sign with the quiff and the... But, yeah, I had lots of boyfriends. Mm. They're probably all gay boys now because I look so much like a boy. <laughs> Who knows? But actually, I was seduced by a much older woman when I was 15. Before then, I hadn't looked at a, a member of the same sex and thought, oh, I would like to have sex with them. We had a relationship for a year. And you're only 15? 15 to 16, Yeah. Does 15 feel young to you retrospectively? Well, I I mean, I, I think I was quite an unusual 15-year-old. But of course, when I tell anyone now, yeah, they're just they're like, well, that's wince. a paedophile. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, she was 31. Oh, wow. That is much older. Yeah. Yeah. And groomed me fully like, like I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to talk about it and nobody knew and because she was in a position of authority. That went on for a year. So... And then after that, my I think if I was like me then now, I would be like fluid. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I was like for years. I, yeah. I, then it was, you know, men and women for, for, for a long time. And then it just was more, as I went to drama school, then it was women. Mm -hmm. Then it was all, it was a lot of women. And were you out at drama school? Yeah. I've never been in because I've never, I lost my virginity to a man when I was 14 and a woman when I was 15. So it just has been like. But you never felt the need to sort of hide it. No. That's so good. And that's, that's so good. Yeah, that's talking about kind of in the mid 80s, late 80s. Were you, were you in London? We were in, Har I was in Harrow. Harrow, right. And then. So that's the outskirts, isn't it? Yeah. And then moved to, when I went to drama school, which I was 20. So. And mm. then that was like Lewisham. So what was the landscape? I'm just trying to paint a picture, especially for like maybe younger listeners or people that aren't from the UK. Like, so 80s in London. I mean, what point were you, like for, for a queer person, at what point were you sort of aware of the AIDS pandemic? And were you aware of, were you, 
you know, yeah, were you part it. of the scene? Yeah, because I know that you were in uh, It's a Sin. Right. So And you played, you know, one of the nurses that was looking after the boys. Yeah. One of the reasons I took that job was because she had an amazing speech, mm-hmm. my character, which was sadly didn't make it to the final <sighs> cut, about the fact that in the end, it was a lot of the lesbian nurses were the only ones that looked after the... Oh, I fucking wish they'd kept that in. I do too. Because that was the... I, I loved It's a Sin. And I love Rossity Davies, not that I know him. I think his stuff's brilliant. But that was the thing, the only thing that I thought was missing. I was like, where are the... There were gay women here. Well, that was me, That was my character. Yeah. You know, and that was the truth of it as yeah, well. Yeah, right. Uh, they were the... You know, they, a lot of them were the only ones that weren't afraid to touch, mm. touch the boys yeah. who were dying of AIDS because they didn't know at the time whether it was contagious yeah. or... So, um, yeah, it was one of the reasons I, I took that job. And I was there at the time. I, I was working in a cafe uh, just by the Royal Free in in Hampstead. Yeah. And a lot of the boys were in the Royal Free uh, dying of AIDS. And they would come and get a coffee in this cafe. And one of the boys that worked in the, in the cafe called John, you know, rest in peace, mate, was... Uh, I worked with John and not for long because he got AIDS and died. You know, he just came in and said, I've got a lesion. And eight months later, he was gone. And so it was, yeah, I, I was in, in, right it. in it. So we talked about it when we were making It's a Sin. You know, we a lot of us of my generation remembered and would tell the, the boys who were, you know, playing those yeah. characters, this is what it felt like. And I knew exactly how to play that character. And yeah, it was a shame that that speech didn't make it. But, you know, maybe that's another story yeah, to right. tell another day. Yeah, because it feels like that is a story that hasn't been told. Because as so often with sort of being a queer woman, it feels like our stories are often just sort of either left on the cutting room floor or just not bothered to be recorded. Well, we've got two disadvantages, right? We're women and then we're gay. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, in terms of the pecking order, we are right at the bottom. Yeah. But then it's for the likes of us to, to write, write it, these yeah. stories. Absolutely. And so what was sort of the like, the, that younger version of you, I mean, in that cafe with those boys, were you sort of frightened as a, as a queer person? Because there was so much hostility towards the community as well was it no i wasn't because because i had uh, a couple of friends who were uh, gay boys and you know they they we educated one another pretty mm-hmm. quickly yeah there i mean we didn't have the community although having said that i look around soho now and think okay where are the lesbian bars yeah, are there there's any? None. i don't i think there's i think there's a lesbian night there's, there's a lesbian a, night. Or there's like, I think there's a basement bar. I mean, it's true to say that what we really want to do is stay in and watch Netflix anyway. So yeah, I don't I mean, know if a club would would even work. It's like a book club. Be nice. <laughs> a lesbian book it, club. It'd be nice okay. coffee shop. But sure. First Out was, the, was really yeah, the only that. place yeah, yeah. for our community. And then for a while it was the candy bar, which was, well, it is what it was. Yeah, right. I remember being kind of terrified in there when I first went in. Yeah. And waiting to play pool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Downstairs. Was it downstairs or upstairs? Upstairs, I think. Upstairs. Yeah. Next to the toilet. Yeah, Glamour. I've had some episodes in, in the sure. my, When my mum died, I, I went in there that day, that next day, uh, to drink vodka and came home with a Colombian woman. <laughs> that was a, an experience. I'm sure. Um, That's the I thing. broke my coccyx in there as well. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Oh, no, because you were drunk. Drunk. Oh, really drunk. Really drunk. That must have really fucking hurt. Yeah, I think I lost an inch. I used to be five foot seven. I swear to God. (laughs) 
I didn't see that's the thing you can lose candy bar was so infamous you could lose an inch I lo- of yeah right you could get um, so drunk you're, you're shorter <laughs> you shrunk you know when I was 15, 16 well 15, 16 when I was with this woman I, I wasn't I wasn't looking for my sexuality because it was there with her. It was only afterwards that I started to look. And I knew lots of, like I say, I knew gay men, mm-hmm. but I didn't know any other lesbians. Yeah. And there were none on the telly. There was there was Martina. Billie Jean King? I mean, again, you've got to be into tennis. Right. That's the thing. I, I honestly thought I'm going to have to be sporty. She kind of finished as well, Billie Jean King, by the time... Yeah, of course, yeah. It was just Martina... I mean, this could be the menopause that I can't remember any others. Maybe there were others. <laughs> no, but I, 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 we've spoken about this. I've mentioned this before on the show. And I, 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 when I realised that I was gay, I remember thinking, I suppose there's like 20 of us and I'm just going to have to find them. <laughs> like, I wonder where they are. Because I knew gay men. Like I knew, I knew that like dad's accountant was gay. And I knew that yeah. like, you know, I just knew that they existed in the in the distance yeah. you know and there was a guy that ran a restaurant in Portsmouth that I was like he's definitely gay yeah you know and like and then there was like you know Paul O'Grady was on the telly and Graham Norton when I was growing up you know so I had those reference points but for a gay woman I was like no I suppose there's like a handful of us <laughs> like and what do we do do we meet up and I don't know to <laughs> yeah like was do I have to like is there do I have to write to someone <laughs> like yeah I, I just didn't know it's because- true and with mum being in the film business a lot oh, of gay right. men. Yeah, okay, of course. So she had a lot of gay friends. And so does that mean her response to your sexuality was like, because she knew gay people? Do you think that was helped at all? No, it was terrible, her response. Right. No, she was extremely glamorous, feminine woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, liked a man. Mm-hmm. And when I told her that I thought that I was uh, gay when I was 15, she uh, dropped to her knees and said oh my you know crying and uh uh this is my fault and and oh no and you know right really it was terrible terrible response yeah the worst possible yeah that's really bad and obviously she it got better Mm. but i could for a while i was with a guy when i was in my 20s and i've never seen her happier yeah than that choice that i made uh that th- this phase that I'd been going through was over. Mm. And then, of course, when that ended and the next thing I had was a girlfriend, she she never said again, I don't like this. But, you know, I, I, I never really felt that she was all right with it. Mm. It was uncomfortable for her. I think it's so... I mean, I yeah, I, I've got a really good relationship with my mum now and she's very sort of... She's really learned a lot and she's really come a long way with it all now, which is brilliant. But I think it's something I've talked about on stage before. I think that there's, it's such a strange thing coming out because it's talking to your parents about your sex life, which is yeah. so weird. Yeah. Like there's such an uncomfortableness to it. Like none of my straight friends have had to say to their mum, by the way, for me yeah. to have a really good time, I've got to be like, it's got to be this yeah, position. Yeah. Or like, yeah, exactly. Like no one yeah. else has to say it. But I think there's something that's so exposing yeah. about coming out. Because all people think about is sex. Well, that's that, but that is what it is. Yeah, well. exactly. But I think that it's so like, it's like. I know. I, I, I podcast like more than I have sex. I'm more of a podcaster than a lesbian, I think. <laughs> I've never said it to my dad. Really? I've never. Well, I said it once I, quite recently because there was a row about something, which I don't want to go into. But, mm. you know, I did say to him, is this because I'm gay? And he just 
was like, he's 80 odd, you know, Irish, working class, makes double glazing, you can imagine. He went, Ashley, like that. But he's met all my girlfriends. But yeah. I never say, Dad, this is my girlfriend. Yeah, this is just, this is this person. This is so-and-so. And yeah. today we're cooking you lunch. And every now and then she might pat me on the arse, Dad. And, <laughs> and you've to... got to be okay with that. Yeah. You've got to turn a blind sorry. eye. <laughs> Not sorry. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think coming out is is uh, maybe easier for women. Right. I can't even really describe why, but I just, I think... Do you think it's because some men think it's hot? So there's like a softness to it. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. There's an idea as well that somehow a lesbian is still a fluid thing. Right, yeah. Unless unless you... I mean, I've got... You know, butchers are, are, are sadly a dying breed. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah, absolutely. A dying breed. Yeah. But I have got friends who are confirmed fucking butchers. Proper, yeah. proper butch. Yeah. And maybe that's difficult for parents. Yeah. I think that was something that my mum my said to me, you're not going to start wearing a Ben Sherman, are you? <laughs> I mean, I've turned up today in a parka. Um, Fucking great. Absolutely. I mean, why Did not? you start wearing a Ben Sherman? Well, I think I already had some. <laughs> I just didn't know. <laughs> but I think that that was the thing that my mum was more frightened about was how I was going to... To look. To look. Yeah. But it's a lot of it's about perception. And now mm. you have a child. So, yeah. so you, you, you know, you're bucking the stereotype that they would consider it. Yeah. You know, in the old days, it was about, if you were homosexual, you were going to have a hard life. You weren't going to have children. Well, you think, weren't going to be accepted. Mm. And I think that's what my mum and dad were really worried about, that it was like, oh, can you just not? Yeah. Please don't. Can you just you know, don't? Also, you know, because, yeah, how am I going to explain this down the Rotary Club? Yeah. Right. But hopefully that is something that is because there's more discussion because most people know a gay person now hopefully that is ending somewhat it's certainly where we are yeah hopefully but have you found that it's ever been like always being out in your sort of work capacity have you ever found that you've been like stereotyped or pigeonholed because of your sexuality or because you you do sort of more character stuff I don't feel like I've encountered it. I mean, I think I get I get offered these, you know, for a while I've specialised in playing sort of the more challenging aspects of society. Sure. Um, and a lot of those are kind of hard women. Do you often play characters that you don't like? I have so to like you, them. That's what I was about to ask. You have to find something to like about yeah. them. Yeah. But there is always a reason why somebody is the way they are. 100%. You know, some of us have got very sophisticated armour and we're using humour and yeah. deflecting everything that way. And other people perhaps haven't, you know, learnt that, you know, you know, haven't been lucky enough to have the education or yeah. are not articulate enough to, to deal with luxury. life that way. Right. So they just, you know, tell, you know, have a stern look on their yeah. face and tell people to fuck off. And yeah. that I know those characters. Those characters are my family. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah same. I don't have a problem with portraying them and I always want to make sure that they're truthful and that, that people see, hopefully, a three-dimensional aspect to those characters. But often I will wonder if that if if it's not implicit in the script, what is their sexuality? So we did that with Big Mandy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a character that I played on this show called This Country. Daisy and Charlie hadn't written a sexuality for mm. her. And uh, I was good with that because... It didn't matter really. It wasn't that wasn't what was important? And then when we got to the second season, we had this thing about a stalker. This episode where um, <laughs> Big Mandy was talking about having been a stalker, right? And before we started shooting it, Daisy said, "Have you thought? 
you know, because she said to me, have a think about who you think you might have liked to have stalked mm. to the celebrity that you stalked. And I said, oh, I want it to be Hannah Spirit from S Club 7. Mm-hmm. And she laughed. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, right, a woman. And then I was like, oh, do you want it to be a, a man? Like, I don't mind. Yeah. But I really liked that, that... You saw it from one angle and she saw it from another. Well, it just wasn't automatically assumed, even though she was, you know, butch and had tattoos and very rough and everything, that she was necessarily a lesbian. Um, I haven't found that that stereotype. Maybe it's been happening without me even realising because I'm I'm so open about my sexuality that I don't... I, I tend not to see people's prejudice because I don't feel it myself. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, and it's always been like that for me. Like, I've never been afraid to hold a girlfriend's hand, no matter where we are. Uh, my partner and I were looking recently, well, I want to go to the Caribbean at Christmas. And then I had to sort of say on Facebook, you know, does anybody know anywhere nice? It's got to be gay friendly. And I felt terrible to say that. Mm. But, I mean, there's still, you know, there's a lot of countries where it's still illegal. It is something that we do have to consider to a degree. I know. I, I I'm sad about that, Susie. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, totally. That's like when we were organising our honeymoon. It was like, oh, where's hot in March? But we, you know... We'll be safe. Well, you know, where it won't be like... We don't have to pretend we're sisters. You know, Sorry. oh, yeah, I always share a double book with my sister. We, just, <laughs> we still hold hands. We've never grown up. Like, what the fuck No, do I'm do? putting oil on her. I'm... I'm uh... <laughs> Give me a mouth-to-mouth. What's wrong? What? She's got asthma. <laughs> You know, you've got to be, you've got to be careful. Now I've got one more question, which we ask absolutely everyone that comes on the show. Right. And I'm thinking about maybe, maybe I'm thinking about the version of yourself when you were working in that cafe and it was, and there was all that sort of sadness around you. If you could reach out to her or maybe someone that's listening to the podcast right now, who knows where in the world that are sort of experiencing that sadness around their sort of identity or around their community. If you could reach out to them and say something and give them a few words of encouragement, what would you say? I would say that it gets easier to be in your own skin as you begin to care less what other people think. That comes with age and experience. And that bravery, and it is brave to decide to be queer to to decide to walk that path because some people are too afraid to do that i think that bravery is one of the greatest qualities that a human being can possess and that anybody that's in that place should be proud to even have be having those thoughts and if they feel sad that's normal you know above the clouds is the sun yeah and just to be brave clench fists Stand up, you know, open your eyes and walk forwards. And you can't go wrong if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Believe in yourself. That's perfect. It is. That's perfect. You can stop clenching your bum now. The interview's finished. It'll be clenched for about another hour, I think. That was really brilliant. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. That was the fabulous Ashley Maguire. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. As ever, you can always get in touch with me. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Send me an email. Let me know how you're doing. Um, And I'll speak to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. 